This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Finding Your Bliss with host Judy Liebrach. Heard every Saturday at 1 p.m. on Zoomer Radio. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Finding Your Bliss, the show that helps you find and follow your bliss. I'm Judy Liebrach, and today we have two fabulous guests. First up is Canadian radio and television host Ralph Ben Murgy. You'll remember him from CBC Midday, and we'll hear what he's up to these days, and it's fascinating stuff. Later on in the program, as our featured artist, we have super talented singer-songwriter Tyler Simmons with a gorgeous new cover of a hit song. But first, let me tell you a little more about our first guest. Ralph Ben Murgy is a Renaissance man. This well-known Canadian radio and television host who we all remember fondly as the beloved co-host along with Valerie Pringle of CBC's flagship news magazine Midday is a man of so many talents. Here are just some of them. He has been a TV host, a radio host, a current affairs host, talk show host, a late night variety host, an actor, a singer, an author, a stand-up comic, a documentary filmmaker, a producer, a news director, a musician, an ordained spiritual director, a podcast host, not that kind of rabbi, a father, a husband, a strategic advisor in the political, environmental, and academic realm. So I just counted 18 different lives that Ralph Ben Murky has had, and like all great Renaissance men, he's skilled at all tasks. He is highly skilled at everything he attempts and has wide-ranging knowledge, talent, and expertise in so many fields. And like all Renaissance men, he is educated, a gentleman, cultured in the arts, very charismatic. And somehow, he manages to do all of these things effortlessly, embodying the basic tenets of the Renaissance, which considered man to be at the center of the universe, and that he should try to embrace all knowledge and develop his abilities as fully as possible. And Ralph Ben Murgy, I think you've done exactly that. Welcome to Finding Your Bliss. My goodness, woman. I'm going to leave right now. <laughs> in, a, in a remarkable and highly successful broadcasting career, which I'd love to talk about in a moment, you detoured midlife and began to devote time to the inner work of the soul. And in one of the books that you love and that you recommended to us, which I have read, Everyday Holiness, The Jewish Spiritual Path of Musar, something that struck me was when the author Alan Marinus wrote that everyone is assigned to master something in our lives. And you, Ralph, have mastered so many things. What was it that sparked this very dramatic detour in your life and work? Well, it's interesting. Alan Marinus has been on my podcast. I'm not that kind of rabbi. Uh, I remember going to see him in Toronto when the book Everyday Holiness first came out because uh, I was fascinated by the idea of inner and outer work that he talked about because Musar is taking one of 18 soul traits or character traits and developing them. I'm, I'm in the middle of a Musar cycle right now. so. Yeah. Uh, I take 13 of the traits. If you do them 13 at a time, you will have done them four times in a year. Wow. So this week is faith. Uh, Last week was patience. And the week before was uh, moderation. (laughs) And 
what you do is you affirm in the morning with with a, a sentence, just a simple sentence. Uh, you know, so for me, it was faith is not blind. And then during the day, you pay attention to the moments of faith or the moments where faith comes up for you or someone else. Uh, today, uh, one of my spiritual counseling clients actually said that she had, she's going through a very hard time and said that, you know, after a few of our sessions, she had managed to locate in herself a, a trust, a faith that things were going to work out. Mm-hmm. And that's really helped her. So that's something, you know, tonight when I'm journaling about this stuff, I'll write about that. So when it comes to things like that, like what Alan does, he allows people to make conscious a life because, you, you know, we've all got a choice. We can sort of go through this with our head down and, you know, hope to avoid the inevitable, you know, or mm-hmm. Dustin Hoffman says for his tombstone, I knew this was going to happen. So we can try to do that. But to me, that was never as interesting as trying to wake up. Uh, You know, not just being awake, but trying to wake up. Because it's so easy to fall asleep, even within a day, to the gift that we have. So I come from a traditional household we're moroccan jews sephardim and we didn't come from when we came to canada you know i was born in morocco when we came to canada in the, in the late 50s as i grew up i grew up eventually after about seven or eight years of moving around all the way from kensington market and regent park up to the last street and in toronto what's known as forest hill hmm. which is got a lot of money and we were just working class uh, Spanish speaking Jews in a three bedroom apartment, six of us. Uh, And so I was already in a disconnect, but then I noticed that Ashkenazi Jews, Eastern European Jews, they had all these different ways you could be a Jew. (laughs) We were reconstructionist or reform or conservative or orthodox or ultra orthodox and i thought wow it's like a buffet <laughs> in moroccan it just is there, there was no orthodoxy that's changed in generations since uh, we first arrived here in canada because without the orthodox from the ashkenazi side we would lose our traditions mm-hmm. you know my mother was never we didn't have passover seders where we talked about freedom <laughs> You're supposed to do it right and get it all done and right. do it in the right order. It's, it's Seder is the word order. So we were trying to do the right order. Okay. So that's what I grew up with. And like a lot of people, I rejected in my adolescence religious life because it had been taught so poorly to me as a bunch of fairy tales that I was supposed to believe in. And it's still being taught very poorly, I believe, in in so many places and so many religions. You know, there's a a line in the Torah that's easily forgotten, which is that the suggestion is you should not try to teach Torah to to somebody till they're at least 20 years old. And this was said in a time when people only lived to 40. So not yet was the idea. Don't try to inculcate a child with nuanced ideas of religious life. But nonetheless, I grew up with these things, uh, and then I sort of threw them out the window for, I don't know, about 10 years from, you know, the old joke, you know, Rabbi, there's uh, mice in the, in the synagogue. There are. 
Yeah, no. What are we going to do? He said, oh, "Don't worry about it." What do you mean, don't worry about it? They're going to eat the parchment from the Torah. It's going to be awful. <laughs> okay, fine. Go put little keepers on them. Give them a bar mitzvah. You'll never see them again. Right? If you want to raise somebody, give them a bar mitzvah. Um, and I still struggle with that with my own boys, you know, uh, and realize that they'll have to find their way back or not to a spiritual life. And it could be through Judaism. I mean, the largest cohort of Buddhists in, in North America are Jews yes. and actually called Jubus by people. Yes. You flirted with Buddhism. There's a lot that you love about it. But at the end, at the end of the day, you came back to Judaism and said, I've got to be where I really feel at home. Is that is that correct? Yeah, well, Leonard Cohen was the one who kind of I, I was lucky enough to do a few interviews with Leonard over the years, and two of them were for radio, so we could take our time. We just spent a half hour, and television ones are ridiculous, five minutes and out. But there we were, and he'd come back from, he just spent six years at a monastery uh, outside of L.A. Hmm. And I said, well, like you're a Buddhist now. Said, no, I'm not. <laughs> what do you mean? You just spent six years at a monastery, like you're, <laughs> like, you're like a monk. And he said, Ralph, I'm a Jew. And I said, okay, because within everyone's religion is everything that they're looking for from a spiritual life. There's no such thing as one dead religion that you just, it never changes. There's always pieces. So I came back to my Judaism out of, uh, and I still love so much that I've learned from Buddhism and from so many religions. You know, there's a, a part of a spiritual uh, training as a, or, uh, a counselor is in deep ecumenism. In mm -hmm. the Baha'is are great at this. The Baha'is, it, it's in, imperative for them to learn as much about other religions as possible. Mm -hmm. And so, if I'm doing, a, if I'm asked to do a, a drash, a Devar Torah at a synagogue about the, the portion, the parsha of the week, I'll talk about Jesus. I'll talk about these other. Uh, great figures of Muhammad and people sometimes are just like, wait a minute, that's not ours. <laughs> and what I tell them and I tell people in workshops that, and it seems to surprise a certain amount of them is God is not Jewish. <laughs> we're Jewish. Right. That's our choice to do this. And we're only doing it because I just wrote a piece for the Canadian Jewish news. That'll be in their new print Passover edition. Wow. About spiritual but not religious which is what is is basically a religion now sbnr spiritual but not religious. is that how you would define yourself no i'm re i'm religious spiritual uh, look spirituality is a relationship issue between your you and yourself you and other people are you do i see you judy as some as someone who is sacred or do I see you as a commodity? I'm using you to get my, my word out through your podcast. No, I have to decide to see you as a person. And then me and the whole universe, which is cosmological spirituality, and it's too much to understand. If there are 500 million galaxies in the universe, <laughs> who am I? All of a sudden, this is all about me. You're not the center of the universe. Mm -hmm. You're a molecule in the universe and decide what you're going to do with that. So for me, that kind of spirituality is important. Religion is a fitness program, mm -hmm. right? A Sabbath for an observant person isn't a, a choice. 
it's you got to do it. And in doing it, it, you're developing the muscle. Absolutely. Every seven days, you, you got the muscle going. So that's that's what I think. Can I ask you about your legendary Friday night dinners? Because I, I really related to that because we've always before the pandemic would have naturally we can't do it right now. 20 to 25 people typically on Shabbat every Friday night. And I know that you did this in a, in a very serious yeah. way with artists and thinkers and authors and, and wonderful people around your table and all religions. And I'm just wondering if that's when the seed for sort of really wanting to delve into Judaism and into your spirituality grew through those legendary Sabbath Friday night dinners. You know, no is a short answer. Okay. Because that, you know, my spiritual life has, has through my early to mid twenties, it it became important to me and my religious life, because I come from a traditional family, uh, wasn't daunting. It wasn't like, Oh boy, I don't know if I can do, I can do that. (laughs) For me, the, the struggle has been to animate the religious life with real spirit. Mm-hmm. You know, people can get up and sit down and get up and sit down and do all the prayers. But if I interrupt you halfway through the prayer, mm-hmm. you know, excuse me, what are you saying? Right now? You know? <laughs> uh, I haven't a clue, but I love that I can sing it and I love that I know it. So that's comfort to me. And that's great. It's like you two going to um, Poland and people singing every English word to their song. They don't know what they're saying, but it's it's music, it's spiritual, it's lovely, right? Mm-hmm. So when they're going, still haven't found what I'm <laughs> looking for. <laughs> right? Yeah. So for me, it grew much before that. And actually what triggered doing the, um, the Sabbaths at our house, uh, particularly in Toronto, because uh, I live in Hamilton now, uh, was doing a, a show for Vision TV called uh, Five Seekers. I did Five Seekers, My Israel, and God Bless America about religion and politics in the States. And they were all done by... Uh, Prime has My Israel and God Bless America right now. Mm-hmm. Five Seekers, it took five people who'd given up on religion, and we took them to Cortez Island, B.C., to Hollyhock, the retreat center, and to Sedona. Because they could try all these different spiritual things to see if any of them registered. Wow, so cool. While we were in Cortez Island, um, one of the people we visited was a woman who had a Sabbath every Friday night. wasn't Jewish, Hmm. but really was intrigued by it. And anyone on the island, there weren't that many people on the island, but anyone on the island could come on Friday night and have a very simple, you know, dinner nothing she wasn't putting out feasts she was just putting out some food mm-hmm. and in her house she had icons from all these different religions in a circle around her mm-hmm. house it was like stations of the cross it was really cool and i came home and my wife said so how was it how was the trip <laughs> and i said you know this woman did the sabbath thing and it was so cool and so inclusive and we just had a uh, 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 my third kid um, and I, and I, we knew we'd be stuck at home. I said, why don't we start having Shabbat and have people over? Wow. And we just started and we did it like that. So it grew out of, and the TV shows grew out of the fact that for years I hadn't done that kind of stuff because when you're working at CBC, you know, you're supposed to do what you're supposed to do. You can't be political. I always wondered, I've got, I, mean, I don't mean to ramble. I've got a, a book that'll be published in the fall called I Thought He Was Dead. Yes. And it, it's kind of a spiritual memoir. 
Uh, but I always wondered when I was doing midday, which you referred to earlier, yeah. what if I'd shown up one day with a keeper on my head? <laughs> what would they do? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, Valerie said, Valerie Pringle said that you would start every interview by saying, hi, I'm Ralph. I'm Jewish. I'm Moroccan. I was born in Tangiers, Morocco. Yes. <laughs> right? yeah. When people were coming in to say hi, he goes, he's about to tell you that he's a Spanish Moroccan Jew. <laughs> Move from there. But I really did think to myself, uh, and I was covering the first Gulf War at that point. Wow. And I really did think to myself, so what if I came in here with a keeper on? If they tried to fire me, that would be a human rights violation. Sure. But, and I, so I realized that there was this thing. When I did the variety show, the Friday night show, I always felt this isn't right. I on Friday, been, yes. Yeah, I was thinking Friday about night. that. Yeah. I shouldn't be doing this. So it's always had, and I always studied my religions, you know, religiously, as it were. So that's the answer to that, I think. You were an ordained spiritual director. Yeah. And and I wanted to ask you, because I thought to myself, in addition to your training, you've always been a rabbi of sorts. If you use the ancient definition of rabbi, which means teacher, what is the job of a spiritual director? And can you tell us what was involved in this spiritual journey, like to become this this role? Right. So there's an organization. I, I'm part of the Jew Jewish Renewal Movement. And Jewish Renewal, I'll give you an example for for Jewish people listening, that Ashrei. Ashrei Yoshrei Vetecha, Oje Haleluha Sela. And then the response, Ashrei Ham Shikach blah, blah, blah. Well, Shefa Gold, who's a renewalist, takes that first line and stops you in your tracks and mm -hmm. makes it Ashrei Yoshrei Vetecha. Oh, dear hallelujah. Oh, dear hallelujah. Wow. Repeat that for five minutes. So what you've done is you've taken a person out of their rote religion hmm. and put them into the present moment. So spiritual counseling is about being able to be, in a way, listening in a holy way. Holy listening. So I listen to your heart. You listen to mine. Or you do whatever you want because I'm trying to hold your space for you. But in that space, there's questions to ask of yourself as you try to find purpose and meaning in your life. Mm -hmm. So one of them can be, what am I doing here? Mm -hmm. like, what is this? It's like, what kind of a bad joke is this? That you live your life and you die. Right. Like, I'm, you know, somebody who's crossed 50 starts thinking about life differently than when they were 30. Sure. So there's a wisdom piece there. Other people can yearn, and you're just trying to figure out and discern what is the yearning they're really giving you. I don't know. I don't know what to do. I used to have this great job and then I got laid off and now I don't know who I am. So what am I yearning for and what gifts of my own gifts am I ignoring? And is this about my, trying to recreate an ego system of my life mm. where it's a pyramid and I'm at the top mm -hmm. and it all has to feed me? Or am I going to find my humility for an ecosystem in which I I'm in a circle mm -hmm. with other things and all interconnected. Mm -hmm. So a walk in the woods, if you stop, instead of thinking 
Oh, what about that stuff that happened yesterday? I think I really upset that person. And, you know, uh, oh, God, I've got that dentist thing, and I don't really want to go. And <laughs> stop being either back there or fearing what's next. Yeah. And just stand there and listen to the trees and the wind, and they speak. They're, they move. And then you realize that the, breathe, the trees literally breathe life into you. Mm-hmm. And you literally breathe life into the trees. Sure. So trying to help people to get to a point where presence overcomes ego. Yes. Mindfulness. Right? Yeah. And, and access their true self. Yeah. So that's the work. I, I understand this work so much, Ralph. I'm also a life coach. I'm not a spiritual advisor, but my whole work is helping people find their purpose because I think that every one of us has a calling and a purpose. And when you're connected to it, the light goes on. And so when I look at your trajectory of your career and that time that you went to the Jewish retreat, the men's retreat in Connecticut, and you started this work, you, you, you had just, you were in the middle of the glorious, the glory years at the CBC. I've never seen a career. It's been unparalleled like yours, Like the CBC has loved you. And you've done everything for them, as I mentioned off the top, from current affairs to to radio, television. Uh, you've hosted every single important show on Newsworld, on on Midday, and your atrium show in in the atrium of the CBC that you did after the Friday night show. And and so, what happened on that weekend at the men's retreat in Connecticut when you? started moving into this other direction? Like, was there a light bulb that went off for you or a, a reckoning or a, or an epiphany of sorts? Well, I think there was the, the Isabella Friedman Center is in uh, Connecticut and they were offering something. I, I would, I was already heavily involved with the synagogue in Toronto, uh, the first and arriver uh, and Rabbi Ed Elkin there, who's a lovely man. Uh, and I miss that synagogue a great deal. Uh, living here in Hamilton, but I found a, a wonderful one here too as well. But I was doing all that, and there was a course that was I. I first started looking at the offerings that are done through this renewal movement when they were at a retreat center called in uh, New York called Elat Chaim, hmm. and I'd always thought I should go, and and I always thought to myself maybe I should be a rabbi, and then I thought. <laughs> You know, I, I don't want to be that kind of rabbi because I, I don't want a congregation. I don't want people deciding they love me or they hate me. I've got enough of that. I don't know another place where that's the case. So I kind of left it over here and thought about it. And then finally, I looked at this course that they offered called Dovenology hmm. about how to make prayer valid in your life. Because I think the biggest stumbling block for most people spiritually is that prayer is hollow. It doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. You don't know what you're doing. You know, there's a silent prayer in Judaism, the Amidah. Um, the whole point of that was how quickly could you get it done and were you sitting down before the person beside you was sitting down. Mm-hmm. You know, and when you're Moroccan, you're never fast enough. <laughs> you're going 100 miles an hour and you turn around and your father and everybody else is sitting. And you're like... Did I read books I shouldn't have read or what's going on? So I went to do that. When I came home, I thought, I'm going to look one more time at the rabbinic path at the Aleph ordination program in this, in the States. It's out of Philadelphia and Boulder. And I thought, no, I just, my Hebrew sucks. I, I'll never be, and, and I don't want to sit there and talk about the three-letter root of this particular word. Mm-hmm. I certainly don't think God is a guy. 
So I, I don't want to do any of that stuff. I don't want to spend my whole time convincing people. But then I saw this thing, hashpa'a, spiritual direction. Mm-hmm. I thought, oh, that I think I could do. So I got in touch with them, and then I read the fine print at the bottom of the description that says, must be in the rabbinic program. And I thought, ah, so I wrote him back and said, sorry, sorry, I didn't see that. My ADHD, I just missed it, sorry. And then they wrote back and said, wait a minute, this is the first year where we're actually taking people who aren't in the rabbinic program. So I, I, I enlisted, as it were, and the day I was supposed to go to Boulder to do it was the coldest day of the winter that year and there was a thing i think it's called a dead stop at the airport where nobody takes off and nobody lands because it's too frozen and icy and i'm like oh and my flight had been changed without anyone at the travel agency telling me to six hours later than i thought yeah and i'd gotten there at four in the morning and i could have freaked out and i started thinking this is my out I don't get, I'll, I'll tell them, look, I tried to go. I can't go because I was so afraid that, I, that I'd be an imposter that I'd get there and the other people in the cohort would go, you don't know anything <laughs> about, you know, and this and blah, and I was like, ah! So I saw someone on the, on the floor and I just thought, calm down, just be here. Mm-hmm. And I completely calmed down. I put my keeper on and I sat there in the airport even if people would recognize me, I didn't care. And it felt lovely and scary. Uh, and I went. And I, it took me 17 hours in total from when I got to the airport to get to Boulder to get to my room. I missed the whole opening ceremony on the Friday night. But I did the week, and I was in. Wow. So I just love that these people cared about real stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is so much out there that's about nothing. It's about more stuff. Yeah. Of and I just thought, no, I'm sure you deal with this as a life coach where people come to you and the only thing they can enumerate is the material life they've led. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yet they're hollow. That's right. So it's lovely work. It is lovely work. You have a wonderful podcast, Ralph, called Not That Kind of Rabbi. You've done almost 50 episodes. I think yeah. you've just done 50. I'm getting there. And I'm loving it. We're going to go on a short commercial break. When we come back, we're going to hear all about Ralph's new podcast. Back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by Create, Canada's leading fertility center for over 25 years. Create is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. Create is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, Create is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. Create has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? Create Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about Create Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. We are back, and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio, and we're joined by Canadian TV legend Ralph Ben-Murgy. And Ralph is about to tell us all about his new podcast. Can you tell us about Not That Kind of Rabbi? I was thinking about a year and a half ago, I'd like to do a podcast because, you know, when you get to a certain age in broadcast, 
people don't want you full time to do a show. They just figure, eh, there's no runway in this guy. He's already over 60. What do I want him for? <laughs> and, and I just did a podcast with a, uh, another broadcaster, Paul Romanak, who was a sports broadcaster. And the conversation we had, I just recorded it today, was really about what do you do when they say you don't get to be you anymore? Who is you? And how do you repurpose your life with new meaning? And you know all this stuff with the work you do. So doing this was like, I think I'd like to do a podcast. Now, I do still work in strategic planning for political parties. I still, I have a, a, a religious and spiritual life. Uh, I'm a generalist, so I love to talk about everything. What do I do? <laughs> and I couldn't really decide because I, you know, I could, I could live in any of those worlds. Uh, and I went to every year. There's a Jewish men's retreat at the Isabella Friedman Center. It's called JMR. It's part of an organization that I'm part of called Menchwork, and uh, I'm on the Wisdom Council for that. So I go every year. So I went this year, and one of the things we do is we break out into five or six men groups to discuss the themes of the weekend in true intimacy and confidentiality. You know, giving men a chance for an emotional vocabulary and a spiritual vocabulary that they don't often get. So we're sitting in there, and uh, one of the guys who's in there is also, he's a marketing guy. Hmm. And uh, we'll finish the session, and we start talking, and he says, uh, so what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm actually thinking about doing a podcast. And I talked to him, and he goes, oh. I said, well, you know, it's like, it's like, I've always wanted to be a rabbi, but not that kind of rabbi. <laughs> and he went, there's your title right there. So I had an eight hour, seven hour drive home uh, from Connecticut. And I just go, you know what? That's the podcast. That's what it's I fabulous. like. Fabulous. So it's a spiritual lens, looking at people's lives with them through a spiritual lens. Musicians, artists, politicians, Kathleen Wynne, Bob Ray, you know, just different people. But, you know, the central question is, where is spirituality in your life? Where is God in your life? And I always try to help people with that horrible word that nobody's allowed to say anymore. Yeah. You know, God is, I, I always wanted to write a book called God is a Four-Letter Word. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ralph, before when you sang the prayer, I was reminded again about how much I love your voice. <laughs> And I was also reminded of how in 2017, you went back to the CBC to guest host a radio show and a woman caller called in to say, we've really missed your voice. And it is, it's been so lovely in compiling, putting this interview together to hear your voice again. Mm -hmm. It's, you have a remarkable voice and I'm feeling nostalgic about the past. So I just would love to just take a little step back to the CBC and to the many, many, many glory years, uh, you started off in Winnipeg as a researcher. You went on to produce Current Affair documentary. And as a very young man, were named the host of Nightlines, a late night music show on CBC Stereo. You went on to host Prime Nightly, a one hour entertainment program on CBC that was the entertainers on the weekend. And I know I'm racing, but one of your biggest breaks, I think, happened with Valerie Pringle on Midday. What was that period like? I think it was about three years on that show. What was that period like being at the height of your career at the CBC, you and Valerie, like what a great combination, so much great chemistry. What was that like? You know, it's, um, 
the first part of life for me was driven by my ego. And I don't just mean horrible ego. I mean, it was driven by my need to be heard and seen. Yeah, I'm the youngest of four. My brothers are eight and nine years older than me. So they were, and we slept in the same room. So that was a whole Getting heard in that room was a bit difficult. And, and, you know, I was the quietest one in my family, so you can imagine. <laughs> um, so for me, it was, it, I was really full of myself. I was really, you know, getting into an elevator after getting a new contract and clicking my fingers and going, yes, and <laughs> marching home. And, you know, I could do no wrong and reviews were all great. And, Working with Valerie was just an absolute treat and, and being taken seriously in current affairs because I came from stand-up and variety and, you know, you know that whole life that I, I had. I do, I do. <laughs> and, uh, and, and to go from that and do that, I didn't appreciate it as much as I should have. And I ended up hosting the Gemini Awards with Cynthia Dale. I remember. I remember that. People watched. It was a big hit. The producers did a great job. Uh, And I was at the top. You know, you always think you're supposed to climb this mountain. So I got this variety show uh, because they said, well, what do you want to do? Write your ticket. And I said, I want to be at Sullivan. I just want to stand there. I told them literally, I want to stand there in a tuxedo and introduce Canadian acts. Whereas the next one, well, you can't stand there in a tuxedo. And then one person wanted me to do a talk show. The other one wanted me to do a comedy show. The other one wanted me to do a variety. So Brian Lanahan said when he came to watch uh, one of our uh, rehearsals to uh, George Anthony, who was the head of variety, he goes, my God, you've put the entire building on his back. (laughs) <laughs> because we had just opened a new broadcast center and it was a big deal. And getting to the top of that mountain was the loneliest and most unhappy I've ever been in my life. Oh. And it was so disappointing to me. And people were saying horrible things about the show and about me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I wasn't doing a great job. I probably, I wasn't the right guy for the job and that's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, I learned a lot about who we are as Canadians, that we yeah. were, we, we like to be, and this isn't an insult to us, low status. Low status. Canada boos its winners, Trudeau once said, Trudeau yeah, Sr. Yeah, I get it. But it's also that we're not high status like the Americans, where everybody is the best thing that ever happened in the entire <laughs> You know, that's yeah. embarrassing to us. We don't yeah. stand there with our hands over our hearts at, at our anthem. We just remember that they changed the words in the second verse and <laughs> How do they really go? I like that about us. But I ignored that. When I did the show, I went for high status. And this and the CBC went for high status. And after that, I think that I had a wound from that. I think you have to not pretend you don't get wounded in life. You just mm-hmm. have to tend to your wounds. Mm-hmm. Because you're going to be wounded in life. There's just no way around it. Mm-hmm. And that one taught me a humility to stop thinking that the top of the mountain was the idea. Mm-hmm. To be yourself was the idea. And so the next show I did was very small. Mm-hmm. You know, we're lucky we got an audience most days. And half those audiences were like, whoa, where did we get these people? They just <laughs> we were able to find some people. In the atrium. They're talking yeah. about in the atrium. Yeah, that was a great show. I love that show. Well, thank you. But you know, <laughs> I did it because I knew that the next thing I did had to be about none of that glitz, none of that glamour. I was grateful to have a show. Jim Bird was the head of TV at the time, and he invited me to lunch because he saw an op-ed I'd written about uh, 
the CRTC, uh, Keith Spicer, who was telling the CBC how it should be. And I, I wrote basically a screw you uh, op-ed to him. So Bird invited me out to lunch and then said, would you like to work at Newsworld? We can give you a show. I, I just wanted to cry when he said that because it was eight months since I'd done the show and it had really been hard on my marriage, on me, on everything. And I just said, yeah, that, that'd be great. Aww. And then Slocko Klimke, uh, what I was given to him and he just said, okay, well, let's do a show. What do you want to do? I said, I want to do something in the atrium, something small, uh, a national talk show. Wow. And that's it. He's like, okay, well, you could nail that. Let's just do it. And after that, it was never quite the same at the CBC. It was, I was sort of, I became a, an executive producer and I, I, I created some shows that I'm very proud of that were really good and that got awards and all that stuff. But I didn't want the same thing. I didn't want fame anymore. I, mm -hmm. I you know, when I see my friends who've become famous, Mm -hmm. I just think, ooh, God, you can't even go to a restaurant. They're staring at you like you're a freak, you know? Comes with a lot of baggage. You were you are the recipient of five Gemini Award nominations. You won the prestigious Japan Prize for Best International Youth Programming and a Yorkton Film Festival Prize for Best Youth Programming. And you and as you said, you went on to host this show and you and your life just started to change a little bit. You did a lot of producing documentaries and series. We talked about it, The Seekers, Vision TV. You produced the Stuart McLean. Yeah. Or Stuart McLean. I miss Stuart. I know. What a character was morally. So I says to her, <laughs> morally. We were driving uh, up to Belleville to shoot this thing at one point. He was my broadcast teacher. Me it too, was, Ryerson. Yeah, he was the first oh. it was the first year teaching when when he taught me. And I was a mature student. I was seven years older than everybody else. Wow. Because I'd already, you know, as you know, I'd done yuck yucks and all that. And I just thought this life is not for me. I do not want to wake up every day going, What the hell am I gonna do next? And my sister was in journalism at Ryerson, so I audited a class and thought, Oh, this is me, because in truth, I'm a nerd. Like, I'm truly a nerd. And my wife, who, if you looked at her, you'd think, oh, my God, what a beautiful woman. She's a nerd, too. <laughs> so we're nerds. You know, we nerd out all the time. So I went to journalism school. And from there, Stuart was my teacher. And he's the one who said to me, I, I wanted to kill him for this later. <laughs> I was in second year, and I was going to be the editor of the Ryersonian in the third year. And he said, you don't need to be here. Like, there's a job open for a researcher in Winnipeg at CBC. You should go for that. Wow. Like, okay. And so I have no degree. I, I have no, I have five years of post-secondary and no degree in anything. I was working as an executive advisor to a college president. Everyone around the table had a PhD and I had no degree. And you're the most learned of all of them. <laughs> I go home and go, I don't, these people, I don't understand. How do you do a PhD? My wife has two master's degrees and half a PhD. And I'm just like, I, I'm an, I literally have ADHD, so school was torturous for me. I hated it. So there, it's all. And yet you're so well-read and you're so learned. You know, Ralph, there's a whole other side of you also. You hosted numerous comedy specials like Seriously Funny in Canada, Punchlines in the Sand in the U.S. You were a stand-up comic. Like, that's how I remember you as well. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can't believe well, it. The Simon, man, all those of people. course, I knew his name would come up. So everyone, Ralph is referring actually to the Canadian comedian Simon Rakoff. He says hi, by the way. Um, 
I love Simon. He's so smart. Simon, for those who don't know, had a relationship with the lovely Judy. At a certain <laughs> um, but uh, Simon, when he first went on stage, was trembling with fear. He made us worried for him. And then they made him go and do gigs at one night as, uh, gigs, which are horrible most of the time in some bar where it's all of a sudden comedy night. And he came back with total confidence, walked on the stage, owned it. <laughs> and one of the smartest comics this country's produced. So, oh, you're that. so sweet. You're so sweet. You know, uh, do you miss the comedy? Because you were a fabulous comic. And I know you still use your comedy in all of your work. You're funny. You're a very funny guy. Yeah, I don't miss I don't miss doing stand-up. That's a hard life. And my friends who still do it, I'm just like, wow. And my friends who are actors, you know, the uncertainty was too much for me. I like I'm an, I'm not an entrepreneur, I'm an intrapreneur. Mm. Put me in something and I will create and create because I know that I have some stability. Make me have to do everything, including turning off the lights. Not so much. You were one of four boys. You're the father of four boys. What do you love the most about fatherhood? And how has it been during this challenging, crazy COVID time being a father of those four boys? Well, there's such a difference in age, 34, 31, 15, 11. And 15 and 11 are still in my house and with, with the plague, uh, we really have to, we're, we're, you know, as my 15 year old said to me and neither my wife or I took offense, I'm so sick of you guys. <laughs> it was just like, I get it. Like yeah. not taken personally. I get it. And the yeah. 11 year old, because I'm 65, I cherish everything with him. Yeah. You know, I've had a few things, health scares in my life that could have been like, mm, this ain't going to go well. You're you're out. And the first one, or the, was it the no, the second one was pretty serious. Um, and I remember he was two oh, or three, and I was reading to him on the couch. And I thought to myself, if I die now, he won't remember me at all. I'll just be somebody that um, they talk about that was my, that, that's my father. Yeah. And I, I just had to hold back tears, right? But being a father is much more important work than any of the things we end up choosing to do. Because most of the time you come up empty. Like if you're good 65% of the time as a parent, gold star, man. Like I can wake up on a Saturday or Sunday morning and be making them all breakfast and thinking, I am a great dad. <laughs> yeah. And then an hour later, I'm being sarcastic and short-tempered. And I'm mm -hmm. like, I suck. Like, I just suck. So it's what makes you have to come to terms with who you really are, because they're going to find out who you really are one way or another when they're kids or when they're 52. So... To me, that's the work. That's the work. You're a good man, Ralph Benberg. You, are yeah. very, you really, really are. Um, it's been said that you have the right amount of whimsy and a conscience. It's also been said that you never took yourself too seriously and always knew how to be chill and somewhat laid back, which makes it lovely to work with a person like you. What do you think has been the secret to your longstanding success as a journalist, broadcaster, and really a respected voice in this country? Well, thank you for all that. That's very kind. And as you know, one gets older, they worry about invisibility because the only acceptable ism today is ageism. You're supposed to just go away and play golf. I, I hate golf. 
and we're and people of my cohort i do aging to saging workshops and really it's about find your renewed purpose and it's not the same as when you were 30 this is the autumn of your life enjoy the autumn of your life cultivate your wisdom it doesn't just come because you're older there's lots of stupid older people mm-hmm. lots of stupid younger people you've got to say who have i been where have i been mm-hmm. what have i learned and try to make that into a, a, a new kind of thinking and purpose to who you are as a person. Mm-hmm. Because this society doesn't care about you anymore. Look at the long-term care facilities. I mean, there are literally people dying. And, and there are people out there who are thinking, well, they're 87. I mean, you know, it's not, gonna, it's not about me. Mm. So the sacredness of life is lost as everyone becomes a commodity. A book for everyone to read is Martin Buber's I and Thou, about the I-it relationship, what you say you to me, and the I and Thou relationship. Where is that divine spark in me and that divine spark in you? And then you have a relationship, a real one, that doesn't can weather all kinds of things. But if it's just, are you useful to me? Is this marriage useful to me? Is this friendship useful to me? Is this dinner party useful to me? <laughs> then that's all you're going to get. What is bliss for Ralph and Murgy? Oh, I think that I admire that you're using it because it's it's been commodified. Mm-hmm. You know, bliss hair products, you know, it, it, Buddhas, you know, soap Buddhas, and mm-hmm. garden gnomes that are blissful. And we've taken it and, and cheapened it and made it into this Follow your bliss. In other words, ignore all the practical things in your life and just be a fairy and follow your bliss. Mm -hmm. So I think that reclaiming the word Mm -hmm. to mean more than a a dopey smile on your face as you walk by a burning house Mm -hmm. um, is important. So I'm not sure where my, I think my bliss is in becoming my true self, Mm -hmm. which is an ongoing struggle because the ego wants you to just keep it, keep your goalie equipment on and keep running. But your ego wants to be able to say, I am Hineni. I am here. That makes me me want to cry. So nice. According to everyday holiness, Alan Marinus, the Jewish practice of Musar is an illuminating, approachable, and highly practical set of teachings for cultivating personal growth and spiritual realization. And our work in life is to uncover the brilliant light of the soul, which you've been talking about, and these transformative teachings and practices, some of which are contemplative, some of which focus on how we relate to others in daily life and help us heal and refine ourselves. Is this the work that you are doing? And is this what's happened to you? And is this your intention really as a spiritual guide to do this for yourself and also to do this for others? Simple answer is yes. (laughs) really it's 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 work worthy of a life if you're going to get the gift you might as well try to do something decent with it instead of going you know i got the range rover but i should have got the lexus (laughs) you know because that's just a rabbit hole of never-ending unsatisfied want it's what what do we really what can we do that can make things better for us as people Mm -hmm. um and, and, and it's not like, it's like when people think that a, a clergy, a rabbi, uh, would be a person with no fault, no shadow. Mm-hmm. That's a bad rabbi, you know, because without a shadow, your life is not complete. So 
learn to incorporate, take it for a walk. Don't make it hide in the bushes. Just there's darkness in us and there's light in us. You got to find them. You got to balance them. And Musar helps a person to be more awake to those choices and to be conscious because consciousness is the idea. Unconscious living. Like sometimes you'll say, you know, that person, they're doing this because, well, they don't know that. It doesn't matter if they consciously are aware that they're being like that. Mm -hmm. They're acting out their life like that. So it has an effect on other people and themselves. Kavana is a Hebrew word that means intention. What is your intention as a spiritual guide? To facilitate a person's journey. To be, to, somebody said a lovely thing at one of our Shabbats where they just said, well, we're all just walking each other home. Oh. And I thought, yeah, that's brilliant. I loved when she said that. It was just like, that's exactly what we're doing. We're just walking each other home. You know, it's not a solo run. Or if it is, it's lonely. I want to thank you so much, Ralph and Murgy, for being on the show, Finding Your Bliss today. What's the best way for people to follow you on social media and to listen to your podcast, Not That Kind of Rabbi? So Not That Kind of Rabbi is on any podcatcher that you want. Just Google Not That Kind of Rabbi. It'll come up on Stitcher and Apple and everything else. So just the name itself is enough to find it. You don't have to go looking down some dark alleyway. Uh, so that helps. Um, my Twitter handle is at Ralph Ben Murgy, uh, and I have a Facebook page for Not That Kind of Rabbi. I'm right actually in a process with uh, someone who I met who's in England, and she really reorganizes people's digital profiles. So there'll be more changes and good things coming because I've got too many things all over the place. You know, I've got a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit here. So you know, she's going to help me put it all together into something cohesive, but not that kind of rabbi right now digitally is the thing I care about the most. Love that. Will you come back and talk about the book when it's, when it comes out? I would love to. I'm just finishing the, uh, the little publisher's notes that are whipping me over the back of the head, <laughs> uh, but it will be out in the fall and I'm really looking forward to it. Thank you, Ralph and Murgy. It's really been lovely talking to you. Thank you, Judy. You've been so kind to me. I really appreciate it. We're going to go on a short commercial break. Back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by CREATE, Canada's leading fertility center for over 25 years. CREATE is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. CREATE is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, CREATE is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. CREATE has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? CREATE Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about CREATE Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. We are back, and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio, AM 740, FM 96.7. And for our featured artist this week, we are delighted to have on the show today the super talented Tyler Simmons. Tyler Simmons is a 21-year-old singer and songwriter from Toronto, Canada. His outstanding vocals, likability factor, and total authenticity has always drawn in audiences. Tyler's rich, warm tone mixed with a gentle rasp gives him a unique and inspiring sound. 
According to Pat Blythe, the associate producer of Cashbox Magazine Television, official photographer for Entertainment Music Group, and weekly music blogger of Don't Believe a Word I Say, writes uh, a weekly music column. And she has said the following, quote, Comfortable on both guitar and keyboard, Simmons has a strong, clear, wide octave ranging voice that hits all of the highs and lows spot on. Tyler is currently attending the Berklee College of Music in Boston, Massachusetts. He is a vocal principal in the songwriting department, and throughout the past three years, Tyler has worked to sharpen his abilities harmonically, melodically, and lyrically in almost all genres and aspects of the music industry. Tyler spends much of his time writing independently and collaborating with others to write songs that connect with his growing audience. While his main focus is pop music, he also likes to add flavors from different genres to give his music an original twist. He's written over 100 songs, wow, and has had the good fortune to have written with Juno-winning songwriters and musicians. He's collaborated with Jack Lenz, who's going to be a guest on our show as well, uh, award-winning composer. He has... Uh, also collaborated with Adrian X, Drake, Andrew McTaggart, Stephen Tyler, Brian Mello, Canadian Idol winner, James Bryan, Philosopher Kings, Prozac, and others. Last year, he released his first single on Spotify with a fellow Berkeley musician called Five Miles, which has reached almost 200k streams with no marketing or support. Tyler is no stranger to the stage, and he has performed for small audiences to crowds of thousands. He loves to perform and has the good fortune of performing a Sebastian Cole original and Jordan opening for Andy Grammer, opening for Tyler Shaw and singing with Sebastian Bach, Skid Row, Tommy Thayer, Kiss and Gene Simmons Kiss. Wow. Tyler has performed at venues such as the Danforth Music Hall, Panasonic Theatre, House of Blues in Las Vegas, Bluebird in Nashville, Young in Dundas Square, Kerner Hall at the Royal Conservatory, as well as others. Other notable successes are winning a full paid scholarship to Berkeley's five-week rock workshop program and playing a musician. I remember this show on Family Channel Disney TV called Backstage. Tyler, welcome to Finding Your Bliss. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So and great. thank you so much for the introduction. So sweet. Oh, it's so well deserved. And, uh, you know, and for those of you who are not seeing this guy, he's a gorgeous, talented oh, guy. And the most incredible thing is that you're humble about all of it. And I think that's why people love you so much. You're terrific. Oh, Judy, thank you. <laughs> You're so incredibly talented. You're currently, Tyler, in your third year at the Berkeley College of Music in Boston doing hybrid classes during this pandemic. Can you paint us a picture of what that looks like? Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. First of all, um, I'm from Toronto, obviously, as you know, um, but it's crazy being back in Boston right now. Um, very different living on my own in my own apartment rather than being at home with my family, yeah. uh, especially during COVID. Uh, a little sad that I don't get to see them, but it's also nice to be independent and on my own during all this. Um, and yes, yeah, so we're doing hybrid class at Berkeley right now, which has wow. been so amazing because we finally get to go into the room and play with actual people again. It's been so long since I've been able to make music live in person with people, but uh yeah, we get tested twice a week, and then, uh, <laughs> which is crazy. I I walk usually the hour to campus, get my tests, and come back. But on Mondays, it allows me to go in and uh, play with live people, and I get to play like a song every week. And then I also do sight reading labs. So um, 
it's really nice. And yes, there's masks and there's COVID tests, but <laughs> it's so worth being in person and uh, getting to like connect with actual musicians and play music. hundred percent. I, I think just the fresh air of going outside. Right. Mm-hmm. And then the actual being playing live music, which I think has been the hardest for musicians. And that was one of my next questions is many artists are struggling during the pandemic with the inability to perform live. And yet you're on fire and you've been very creative during this period. Can you describe how you've been able to be creative during these times and how you found a way to get around the challenges that really do exist at this time of COVID? Yeah, yeah. It's definitely the performing live thing was something that was really tough for a while. And I didn't even realize how much I missed performing live until I got to do it again. I definitely missed just going to shows and doing that. But um, I used to get like nervous about how I was singing on stage and stuff like that. But when I went back and just performed in classes recently, it just became this whole different mindset where I was like, I'm just glad to be here and I'm glad to be performing in front of people. Uh, about the creating and stuff. Yeah, that was really tough for me for a very long time in COVID. Um, mostly because I found during the summer when I was back home, I was just at home a lot. Uh, not a lot of stuff to write about, not a lot of inspiration. So, um, yeah, the one thing that really, really helped me, which if you're a songwriter, you should try. I really wasn't sure how it was going to work when I first started doing this, but I've started now. I'll do like little song bites on my phone or on my computer. I'll just like play a guitar and it'll be like a 30 second song bite and I'll take that song bite. I'll put it on my phone and I'll go on a walk and I'll just walk for two, three hours and just take in everything around me, all of the buildings and all the cars and all the people walking on the streets (laughs) uh, and just use that as a way to get out of my room and out of this whole nothingness that's going on sometimes during COVID. It lets you like, just be out in the open and let your creativity go. So that was one thing that really helped me writing was just doing these little sound bites, putting them on my phone and then getting out of my house and like on my feet to actually write music. So that's been, that's been really helpful for me. Wow. What a great tip for writers and for people who are stuck. Thank you for sharing that. That, That's actually so cool. That gives me ideas as well. (laughs) It's really amazing. Uh, You started your music career, um, Tyler, by opening up for Andy Grammer when you were only 13 years old for a charity event. What was that like? And can you take us back to that time? That was so crazy. I that was at at that point in my music career, and I'll put it in quotations uh, for those of you who don't can't see it. Yeah, it's <laughs> air quoted because I was so young, and I'd only written one song, and this is really the start of everything for me. Um, my mom asked me to write a song with my guitar teacher, and I was very nervous. I wasn't, I didn't really feel comfortable doing that yet, or going out and performing stuff like that. But she she told me that I'd probably enjoy it, and she was correct in the end, <laughs> as she usually is. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I wrote this song and uh, and then I saw a poster for auditions for this charity event. And I looked into the charity event. I didn't actually know who Andy Grammer was while I was auditioning. So this is crazy. <laughs> uh, I learned about his music uh, just before the show happened. So I did listen to his music beforehand. But uh, yeah, so I learned about the show and I was like, this seems like an incredible group it was for the live wise foundation um i remember that i remember that wow yeah it was for the first their first show that they put on um and so uh i was like i need to be a part of this if they want me to be a part of it because i love the charity and everything they stood for uh so i auditioned for that with the only song i'd ever written and they were kind enough to give me a spot on the uh on the roster 
Uh, and so I got to, yeah, I got to open for Andy Grammer and that kind of sparked everything actually after that. That's how I actually met Ellen. I don't know if you know that Judy, um, for, I know for those of you who don't know, I do these, uh, Sunday jams with, uh, Judy's daughter, Lily and a bunch of other people as well, actually. And so I actually met Ellen, the person who runs those, uh, through, um, the live wise foundation because she was at the show that night. Wow. That, that is so cool. That is so cool. So it really kind of bridged everything together. All of my shows that I played afterwards, a lot of them came from this foundation charity show uh, that I got, which was incredible because I didn't, honestly, I didn't know that anything was going to come out of this. It was just a show that I really wanted to be a part of because I really liked the people who were running the show and what they stood for and the charity and everything about that. So it was just a, a crazy like jump into the music industry wow. that I was not expecting at all. And you began, Tyler, a long relationship with Ellen Schwartz, and you would sing all the time for Jacob Schwartz. He was your buddy. He was your friend. And you sang together. You actually wrote a beautiful song. Tell us about this relationship and, and what Jake's Jam means to you. Yeah, it's it's crazy. that that The Schwartz family uh, has been in my life for a very long time now. Um, I, it's hard to even think about it. Now, now that I think about it, it's about eight seven, eight years that I've been uh, friends with the family and just like part of the community. Um, yeah. So basically I basically, okay. So I met Ellen through the charity event um, and I fell in love with the, her and Jake and the rest of the family. All of them are such incredible people and they all are so kind and caring and loving people. Um, and I basically just went and I would play on random Sundays, uh, any, any Sunday that I was available and they would have me over, I would go and I would play for Jake. Um, because there was just something special about the family in general and Jake really, it was Jacob. For those of you who don't know, he couldn't speak. He could, couldn't talk. Uh, he couldn't walk. He was in a wheelchair and he, stuff like that. It was, it was very tough. Um, I'm sure it was a tough like life to be living in, but he really just connected to people in a way that I have never really seen before, never really experienced. Like even through all of those, I felt like I was able to become extremely close to him uh, just through sharing moments of like music and, and, and smiling and play. Yeah. Just being there in, in the moments with him, playing music with him and, and seeing and being there with him while he was, living in that moment and it was it was really something special and yeah through then since then since he passed away which is was horrible it was like a really devastating um for me and the family uh and everybody in the community actually because he really just brought so many people together um so since then i've still been a part of the community and still we're still just trying to spread his name out there and all of the things that he stood for and every, all the people that he brought together. Um, and that's what I think. Thanks to Ellen, because Ellen also is just incredibly beyond beyond. Yeah. She's, she's one of the, one of the most special people that I've ever (laughs) met. Like really, she really is incredible at bringing people together and, and just helping people, um, which is such an incredible quality. But uh, yeah, since then, we still do the Jake's jams and we're still trying to share his message, basically. 
Yeah. It's amazing. And it's such a magical, it's just such a magical time every Sunday. I don't know what it is. I can't even figure out. It's just the wonderful hearts, I guess, that have all come together and all the talent and the good people led by this angel, Ellen. You're right. It's just a miraculous thing. Let me ask you, what is bliss for Tyler Simmons? Ooh, what is bliss for Tyler Simmons? Um, you know what? That's actually a really interesting question because I've been very much thinking about this kind of stuff in general, as I think a lot of us have been during COVID. Um, but really, I'm starting to learn that it's it's about just making sure you're enjoying life and what you're doing. Um, there was, there's been a lot of, especially in the music industry, there's a lot of stuff that you have to be doing and things that you there's a lot there's a lot to it you know what i mean there's a lot of nuance to this this very tough business and uh something that i've learned is is that i'm here doing music because i love it and i love connecting to people um and so i think bliss for me is just being open to the idea that i can just do that and i can just be me and make music and connect with people rather than having to be uh, necessarily like a business. Does that make sense? That, Absolutely. That was, Absolutely. That was one thing that, that was kind of tugging on me for a while, but, and sure I am a business at some times because you have to be. Uh, but I think for me, bliss is really just me doing music because I love it and I love connecting to other people. So yeah, that was, that's, an, that's, that's a great answer. That's a great answer. And, and you know, it's funny when you do that, when you come from a place of something you're passionate about and that you love and you're, and you're as talented as you are, uh, oh. the combination is, is, um, is irresistible, right? People just love that and they pick up on it and that's exactly what's happening. So it's really oh. exciting. What, what is the best way for people to contact you on social media and get your music, Tyler? Ooh, uh, the best way. So my Instagram, actually all my handles are at Tyler Sim music, which is just T Y L E R Tyler S I M. And then music, uh, uh, my email is also that at Gmail. So if you want to reach out on email, feel free. I answer people. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, and you can just find me on Spotify and Apple music. Um, there's only two songs, like there's a couple releases on there. Uh, there's more to come. But yeah, so you could just find my name, Tyler Simmons. Oh, and yes, and YouTube as well. Um, my If you just type in YouTube, Tyler Simmons, you should be able to find me. But my actual at name is the great name, which great with an eight, uh, because I was like 13 when I made it. And that's what happened when you're 13. Uh, and YouTube channel. That's hilarious. Tyler, I want to thank you so much, Tyler Simmons, for being on the show today. You're just terrific. Your music is fabulous. And so are you. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Judy. It really means a lot. It was an honor. It was so awesome. Thank you. Each week we spotlight a singer, songwriter, or musician on the show. If you're a singer, please write to us at music at findingyourbliss.com. Also, we encourage you to visit us at Finding Your Bliss magazine. Be sure to sign up for Bliss News. And of course, you can follow us at The Bliss Minute on Instagram and Facebook. I would like to thank my guests, Ralph Ben Mergy and Tyler Simmons for being on the show today. Also, a big thank you to our supervising producer, Mag Ruffman, production manager, Siobhan Kiley, PA researcher and editor Haley Allegia, audio producer Faz Kazi, and to everyone here at Zoomer. And of course, a big thank you to our sponsor, the Create Fertility Center. This show has been recorded by Squadcast. We're going to close out the show today with a short meditation. 
The sigh breath is a very simple breathing method for releasing tension in your chest, in your diaphragm and neck areas. It can be an excellent way of managing the symptoms of anxiety or panic. And it's a wonderful way of calming down before giving a presentation or appearing on Zoom, doing any kind of audition or performance or interview. This is really like an instant tranquilizer. And it's so simple and easy to do. Begin by settling back and get as comfortable as you can. And inhale through your nose. And hold the breath for just a beat. And now allow the air to exhale slowly through your nose or mouth. Whatever feels more comfortable. Once again, inhaling. Holding your breath and then exhaling slowly. And one more time with a deeper inhale through the nose, holding the breath at the top and breathing out slowly through the nose or mouth. Allow your breath to take on a natural rhythm until your breathing becomes slower and more calm and serene. For all of us here at Finding Your Bliss, I'm Judy Lee Brack, reminding you all to breathe and take one step closer to finding your bliss. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.